Hey, we want to report to you about our trip to New York. So we're going to begin with some pictures from our trip that will help you uh, kind of get a feel for what went on while we were there. And, um, and then after that, we'll share some testimony about what we learned and perhaps a few experiences that we had. So uh, we'll uh, watch the, the pictures at this time. I've asked uh, Gail to share what she has learned and uh, couple experiences, and then uh, Jennifer will follow, and then I'll follow her. I'm glad I'm first, because I just want to, to tell you not to believe half of what Pastor tells you that I did there, because you know I, all, I behave very well. Um, I feel we were really a big help to them, because not only in the church service and handing out flyers, but most of all, Sarah needed help with the children because she had been in labor the week before, and even um, at nine months pregnant, she drove herself to the doctor and then drove, her, drove to LaGuardia Airport to pick up her mother by herself. And so we took the kids to the park a couple times, and um, they were very good kids, very well behaved. They did everything you told them to do. And uh, the biggest thing I can think of is how hardworking the Richmonds are. And they, um, you open their front door and their living room is their living room, their playroom, the office, the dining room. Um, everything is just there. They just have two bedrooms for six people and they just make do. They're, they always had a smile on their face and they were just always on the go, just always working hard. And I, the first thing I noticed when I got there, I knew I'd see a lot of people, but they were so sad. They just, it was Thursday and Friday, and, you know, I know they were coming home from work or going to work, but no one was smiling. They were looking down at the ground or straight ahead. They just were such a sad group of people. My best experience was I was handing a, a postcard telling about the church services, which is, was right around the corner in a school. And that's that they need help to get the word out that they're there because they're in a school. It just says, Q for a school. There's no indication outside that there's a church service inside. And um, not only do they have, you know, to have their services, but they have to go an hour early to transform a library into a church service and then take it all back down again. Pastor and uh, Tim were carrying up tables up upstairs, you know, just for Thursday night, and then Sunday you had to set the whole, um, all the chairs up, because, you know, most of our missionaries have a church, they have it already set up, but here we had to transform it into a church and then transform it back into a school when we were done, and, um, but uh, getting back to where my, the best moment there was uh, a black man getting on the bus, and I handed him a postcard to tell him that there was a service that night right around the corner. And he asked me, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. Are you? He goes, yes. I was just at a Bible study last night. And I said, well, we're here to let people know that there's a a service being held in the school around the corner. He goes, I'm so glad you're here because these people need to know there isn't much time left. And there's so many people that need to know. And that made me feel so good after seeing all those sad people. In fact, when um, Jennifer and I were down the subway, we'd been down there over an hour, and 
And finally a man smiled, and I said, you're the first New Yorker I've seen smile. I should take your picture. And he laughed. But um, what I, I just want to encourage everybody, I, you know, if you've made a commitment to your um, to give to missions, you really need to follow up. God understands if something has come up and you can't make that, you know, meet your commitment, but we all need to help, you know, because I would love to see us be able to raise it back up from $50 to $100 a month, because um, I forget what they pay, about 1600 a month just for their apartment, and I think it was over 8000 a month to rent the um, church for two days a week. They rent it on Thursday nights, and then Sunday, since they, they get it from 9 to 5, so they have a service, you know, they get there at 9.30 and start changing it into a church, and then at 10.30 their church service starts, and then they go right into another service, and then they go into lunch, and then they go into another service, and then into prayer meeting. And then we have to break down the church again back to a school. But uh, I just want to encourage everybody, even if we just each gave an extra dollar a week, we could um, send them more money. But I had a great time, and I just thank God that we got home safe. The driving is insane, but Pastor loved it, so that's all that matters. Thank you. Well, first of all, I want to um, give, my, give you my thanks for um, allowing us to go and, um, and help out the Richmonds and um, for also supporting us with your prayers as we went. We had safety on the roads, and... Um, we had good weather. It's a little hot, but um, it's that time of year. So um, we enjoyed our time, and I think we were able to be a help to them. And once I was able to get over the hustle and bustle of packing and farming the kids out to where they needed to go, I was able to focus on um, what we were going there to do, and that was to help out the Richmonds in any way that we could. Um, this trip really gave me an appreciation for our church planters in the U.S. Um, you think, how how hard can it be? I mean, they speak English. Of course, the area where they're at has is very diverse. Um, many different languages spoken in, in the area of Queens where they're at. Um, but most people at least speak a little bit of English, and um, they don't have to learn a foreign language to work there in New York, but yet it's it's the city, and it's um, it's hard to reach people. It's um, it's very busy. People are busy. There are people everywhere. There are cars everywhere. Even though most people there don't have a car, you still have to hunt for a parking space wherever you go, or pay an exorbitant amount of money to to park your car. Um, even though we're from the Detroit area, it's a much bigger city. It's a different, totally different atmosphere. Um, people are always running and busy, running to, to the subway, running to the bus, um, and many of them are too busy for religion. And um, we found that as we were handing out tracts, many people weren't interested in having any information about the church that, that we were handing out. Um, and as we went up from the subway and looked in the trash cans right outside the subway, we saw many of the, the flyers that we were handing out. But um, 
On the other hand, we were planting seeds, and I think of one lady um, that we handed out uh, some information to, and it looked like she was she was with her two children, and she was waiting. It looked like she was waiting for somebody. She stood at the top of the subway and read the information that we had given to her, um, and I think she was the one who had asked if this was about Jesus. Um, so she. She'd heard, obviously, before, but she stood there and she read through the information. Um, I also had the opportunity to talk to a man named Santosh um, from of Indian origin, and um, we talked for about an hour. I'd handed him some information, and, and he kind of paused, and then he came back and asked me if um, this was religious information, and, and um, he just said he liked to talk to people and ask them what, what kinds of things they did so that he could learn and he tried to share the wisdom that he had with other people and yet in talking with him I, I could tell that um, he was was basing his um, going to heaven on a, a works based um, salvation he was he had got out his notebook and he was writing down things that he said first he asked me what I thought um, humility was and he was writing down whatever I said and then he explained what he has done in his life and that was to um, make a list of all the bad things all the wrongs that he had done to others and he, he went back to them and he asked them to forgive him and even his wife and his children and they said it's okay dad um, everybody does something wrong every once in a while and you know you don't have to apologize for that and he said no I, I want to make it right and um, he tried to think of all the wrong things that he had done and, and kind of rectify them and, and then he made a list of all the good things that he does and um, which so that his good could outweigh his bad and I think that's the mentality that a lot of people have and so I was able to point him towards the Bible and point, point him towards Christ and tell him that what I believe what I believe is um, that you can only reach heaven through Christ, believing that he paid the price on the cross for your sins. And I was able to explain that a little bit. And then later on, my husband came in and, and um, because we had to go, and he um, explained a little bit to him and pointed him towards the gospel, told him to read John if he could. And um, it was a good conversation. And so that was another seed that was planted and um, I also think of the Richmond's next-door neighbor. They told us about um, Sarah, I think, had just knocked on their door and asked her if she wanted to be in a Bible study. And this lady told me that um, she had been looking for a Bible study. And so she was so glad when Sarah came and talked to her. That's exactly what she was looking for. And she's been a faithful member of of their church ever since and so even though there were many busy people who were too busy um, there were there are people there who are open to the gospel and we were able to plant some seeds um, now like I said before we were able to hand out some information we also went around one of the one morning and hung door hangers on on doors and um, passed out some literature in that way, um, just walking the streets. 
Um, and then we also helped the Richmonds in, in whatever way they needed. Like Gail said, we um, took care of the girls, took them to the park just to give Sarah a little break as she was at the end of her pregnancy. We were able to fill in spots in the Thursday service and in the nursery on Sunday in Children's Church um, and also helping with setting up and tearing down. Um, it was a wonderful opportunity, and again, I thank you for letting us go and for your many prayers for us. Well, I would like to thank you for uh, the support that, that you gave to us, both prayer and finances. Your money helped us be able to go on this trip. Uh, we, we took money during the Christmas offering and the Easter offering, close to $900 that went towards um, the cost of this trip, so we appreciate that very much. What shocked me the most, I think, was the diversity of the people. Um, you saw it even in their church. It matches the diversity of their city that they live in. And Tim chose that area specifically because he wanted to be in the center of all these di different ethnic groups. In in a two-mile radius around his church, there are a quarter of a million people. And of those people, uh, he said that only 50% of those people speak English. So his, in the home, that is. Uh, they may speak English as a second language, but primarily they're speaking other languages. And so his job is to, he wants to get out the word to as many people as possible so that those people will be sent out from his church around the world, go back to the places that they had originated from and share the gospel with them. For example, there's a lady that just came to Christ not too long ago from a country in southwest Africa called Nabib Namibia, I think it is called. So those of you who are good at geography can correct me there, but Namibia. And she told him uh, that... Uh, that's where she she was from, and so he asked a little bit more. Well, you know, what kind of things did, did you do there? What what do your parents do? And he found out that her dad is the prime minister of this country, not a small country, just like a little dot on the map. It's a pretty big country, right on the coast of Southwest Africa. And so his prayer is that she, along with some other family members, will uh, be saved. And well, she's already saved, but her family members will be saved and sent back to that place to. Um, to spread the gospel back there. Um, in this two-mile radius around his church, he took us around. He calls it around the, world, or around the world in 80 minutes. He drives around this little block area around his church and showed us that there is a huge Orthodox Jewish population there. There are, uh, uh, And we met some uh, converted Orthodox Jews, now um, believers in Jesus Christ who go to his church uh, Jamaicans, that's where our hotel was in the big um, African-American section and the Jamaican section. And then also uh, people from India, like Jennifer talked about, Asians, there's Mexicans, um, Latin Americans, and so on, Russians. And it's just amazing the diversity just in that small area. And his job, what he's trying to do as best as he can is to get the word out to the people in the area, and that's why he's enlisted some of his supporting churches like us to come out and help him in that way. And so we uh, we went with the plan of when we were going to pass out all these materials, but we were we were kind of left at his um, 
discretion as far as what we could do because he had all the materials and a lot of times we needed his help to, to show us where we needed to go and so on. And because of his wife being in her uh, condition, um, we had to change the plans often. So we would come to show up ready to hand out some things and he said, you know what, can you take care of the kids instead? We, we need We need... My wife needs a break and I need a break. And they were kind enough even to invite us over for dinner one night. And uh, Tim did most of the cooking, but Sarah even helped. It was very incredible um, how how hospitable they were to us. And it was great to um, build a relationship with them. That was the first time I had met him and, and Sarah in person. You you remember them from being here a couple years ago. Um, but it was great to to see their love and their passion for the city of New York. They, like Gail said, they're just always uh, smiling and always happy. They're not frustrated with all the the things that we, you know, tend to get frustrated about, especially since we don't live there. But um, they they just love doing what they're doing and and they want to help people as much as they can. In fact, when Sarah showed up for church, she knew she was going to be going into the hospital in the mor- later on that morning. And the first thing she says when she gets out of the car, I want to hear what, what it was like when you guys went into the city about your, you you know, when you guys got to go see the Statue of Liberty. you got to tell me about that. And this lady's, I mean, her, her contractions at that time were five minutes apart. And Tim's like, you get in the car, you talk to your doctor because I think you need to go to the hospital. And Jennifer says, uh, uh, before that, I, right when we they got there, Jennifer says, can we take a picture of your family before... Uh, church starts, and he's like, "If you want to do it, you better do it now, because I think we're going in." So that was the picture you saw out there. The kids were trying to block her uh, her stomach there, but um, and then uh, the baby was born later on that afternoon. Uh, they they have services, like Gail was explaining, from 9:30 all the way till 3:30. And uh, as far as their support is concerned, right now they have need a need of $8,500 per month. And their church brings in $4,500 per month, which is, I think, pretty amazing for the time that they've been there. They have, I believe, 12 members in their church. They have about 50 or 60 people that come regularly. Um, so they still need support of 4000 which they're getting from churches. Um, but a lot of those churches are starting to uh, drop off uh, with regard to their support. Uh, we were able to pass out several hundred door hangers and several hundred service invitations. They did have two visitors that showed up on the Sunday that we were there. And uh, we like to think that it was a result of our canvassing efforts. We don't know if that's, for, that's true or not. But um, uh, like Jennifer was saying, you know, we, we tried our best just to do whatever we can. You know, Tim was telling us, you never know what time you're going to meet somebody uh, perhaps you'll get somebody that's been coming through the subway day after day. In fact, a lot of people recognized uh, th- this literature from Grace Baptist Church because they've had other groups down there passing out the same literature. Um, but he said, you know, you never know what what you're going to get. You, they may have been, they may have just had a family member die, or something serious may have happened in their family or in their personal life, and that may be what God uses to turn them. Uh, their attention to the things of God. And so we uh, wanted to work hard in, in helping him in that way. So 
We appreciate your prayers for us. We certainly enjoyed ourselves very much and uh, were able to, I believe, accomplish the, the goals that we had set out to accomplish while we were there. And primary one, just being helping out the Richmonds in whatever way we could. And uh, so appreciate uh, the opportunity to go very much. And hopefully you get a better idea of how you can pray for them. They certainly have a lot of needs still. Um, Tim is just overwhelmed with the amount of things that he is doing. He does have an assistant pastor that's there, a guy who who came from Greenville, South Carolina. He and his family are there, um, John and Sarah Brackbill. And they have, is it four kids or three? Three kids, one uh, newborn, and they have a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, to get an apartment that size, it's, I think, twelve or $1,300 a month. They're, uh, and you've got you to remember that in that area, the, the land is at such a premium that you can't just have a church building like this that sits up empty all week. You have to rent it out to other people if you were to have a church building. So what most church planners do in that area is they actually rent out a, some sort of facility that's being used throughout the week like a storefront or something like that. And Tim's at a spot where um, he really doesn't have a place to do studying. I mean, most of his studying happens at Starbucks or a library. He doesn't have uh, an office in his apartment. He doesn't have a church building where he can go to. So it's it's very difficult there. And uh, they would like to get into a more permanent place than this school building so that they can have some sort of signage that can stay up throughout the week. People can know that they're there and so on. Um, But just pray in that regard that the Lord continues to build that church. I sensed that that there is a strong work of the the Holy Spirit in their church. They have a, a very high view of the Scriptures, which was encouraging. They had a great... Uh, worshipful service. I, I thought they did a great job of exalting our God, and um, I was excited to see uh, the Lord working through their ministry and growing their ministry. And so you continue to pray for them as you think about them uh, in New York. Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Just want to kind of summarize what we talked about in chapters 1 and 2. And then we'll walk through this chapter and uh, make some application and then we'll uh, enjoy some fellowship together um, around some ice cream. Habakkuk chapter 3, towards the end of of your uh, Old Testament. You know, when, when injustice happens all around us, the when things don't go as we think they should go, the natural thought, the natural conclusion that comes to our mind is either God does not care or God is not there. Either He's far away or He just doesn't care about my situation. Habakkuk, in the best way that he knew how, in chapter 1, reverently questions God. He says, God, where are You? Because it seems like You don't care about my people, Judah. And so he asked this question in chapter 1, verses 1-4, through Where are you, God? How can you allow sin to abound in these people? I mean, when are you going to come and punish sin? And so God, in chapter 1, verses 5-11, through responds to Habakkuk. He says, Habakkuk, you have no idea. 
I know about all the injustices that are happening all around you. In fact, not only do I know those, I know all of them, all the injustices that happen in the world. And if you think that it's, it's offensive to you, think about how offensive it is to me. And so he explains to Habakkuk that, that, that Habakkuk would not understand even if he were told. Chapter 1, verse 5, he said, You would not believe it if you were told. Because I'm doing something in your day that is so great that you, you don't comprehend what is going on, Habakkuk. So don't question me. And here's what I'm going to do. He explains a little bit about what's going to happen. These Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to be my instrument of judgment on the people of Judah. You, you want to see justice taken care of, Habakkuk? It's coming. And it's coming at the hand of these people, the Babylonians. And so then in chapter 1, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, Habakkuk responds. And he says, wait a second. The Babylonians? Do you realize, God, how wicked those people are? The Babylonians? I mean, of all people, you could get to to judge the people of Judah. Yes, judge, Judah's been bad. We, we understand that. And they need to be judged. That's what I asked for. But but the Babylonians, they're much worse. Why would you why would you send those wicked people? I mean, they need to be destroyed first and then Judah, if anything. And so God uses all of chapter two to explain to Habakkuk that that don't worry. Okay? Babylon will be judged as well. Don't worry about it. They'll be judged in my timing. I am in control of all nations. I'm in control of everything that is going on, so don't question my justice. My justice cannot be questioned. So after God takes time to explain a little bit about what He's doing to this prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk now responds to God's, um, God's coming judgment on the people of Judah and on the people of Babylon. And he responds in chapter 3, and he shows that he now recognizes God's greatness in his justice. So let's read verses 1 and 2. Because we should see with Habakkuk that it, when it seems that injustice abounds, we must pray to God. Notice verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear, O Lord... Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk says in this verse 2, he says, You are God, and there is no other. I should not have questioned you. He's basically saying to God, I, I, I am sorry for what I have done. Now I want to, I want to see your works go forward. See, before... In the two times previous, he was questioning God and saying, God, you're not doing it right. If I were you, this is how I would do it. Now God's, now he's saying to God, allow your work to go forward. Revive your work, he says, in the midst of your years. But at the end of verse 2, he, he begs for God's mercy. God, be merciful to us. In, when you pour out your wrath on these people of Judah... Just remember your mercy. Remember how much of a merciful God you are. So when injustice abounds, we should pray to God. We should pray to God. Verses 3-15, through 15, we, we should praise God. 
for His universal greatness. Here, in verses 3-7, through Habakkuk begins with a reminder. He, he, he basically recounts back to God all the great things that God had done during the Exodus. When He had brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt into the, the Promised Land. So he remembers this great work that God did in the Exodus. We see God's presence in verse three and four. Verses 3 and 4. God comes from Teman. That's from uh, Edom, which is near Jerusalem. And the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of His praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from His hand, and there is the hiding of His power. Habakkuk is thinking back to the ancient people of Israel, how they followed God with this brilliant light, this Shekinah glory, this light that, that, that showed that God was there. God's presence. Verse 5, we see God's power in pestilence and in plague. Before Him goes pestilence and plagues come after Him. Habakkuk recalls how God had, had wiped out the Egyptians with all of these great miracles. And then in verses 6 and 7, we see God's power is to be feared. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. The point here in these two verses is that all of the earth is under God's command. Nothing can subvert God's power. Nothing can overcome God's power. Nothing is greater than God. And so God's universal greatness is seen by Habakkuk in the exodus of the past. And then in verses 8-15, through 15, Habakkuk sees his universal greatness in the conquest, okay, where Joshua comes in with the people of Israel into the land of Canaan. And now Habakkuk recalls that and, and talks about God's greatness during that period of history. And now Habakkuk, instead of uh, praying to God, uh, he, he now prays to God directly. The response of, of seeing God now, he says that I fear you, God. I, I recognize who you are. He sees God's greatness over the water in verse 8. Did the Lord rage against the rivers or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? God's power over the water. Verse 9, we see God's power over enemies, or over the armies. Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. You cleaved the earth with rivers. And then we see in verses 10 and 11, God's power over all creation. The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. See, Habakkuk is recounting the time, remember, when God caused the sun to stand still so that Israel could defeat the Amorites. He's recalling that time and the conquest. He's recalling how God used the, the mountains and the rivers and all these great things that are at His command, even the armies, to conquer His people. And he's saying, God, you are great. All of creation responds to you, verse 11. The sun and the moon even obey you. They, they can't disobey you because you are in control of them. 
We see again His power over the enemies in verse 12. In indignation or wrath, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. And then we see God's promise of hope in verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Habakkuk recognizes that God isn't just wielding His power just for the sake of showing His greatness. He's doing it for a specific purpose. He's doing it to save His people so that His people can be uh, can receive the promise that He had given them, the land of Canaan. And so God gives them great hope in this situation. And so we have answer to God's or to Habakkuk's complaint. God, where are you? And why are you not judging these people? God says, I am doing it, and I'm doing it in order to save them in the future. Just like in the past, I I brought them out of Egypt. I put them in a spot where they were under oppression in Egypt. I did it so that they could be saved. And now I'm doing the same thing to you and your people, Habakkuk. I'm going to destroy them, I'm going to send them off into exile, which was coming up within a couple years for Judah. And then I'm doing that in order to raise up a people who are repentant, who are willing to give up their sin and to follow me. God shows His power in destruction, or Habakkuk recalls God's power in destruction. Verse 14, You pierced with His own spears the head of His throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exaltation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. And then uh, Habakkuk goes back in time a little bit to the, the Red Sea in verse 15. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. He recalls the time when Egypt comes in after the Israelites and the waters are like horses trampling down over the Egyptians to slaughter them and allow Israel to be saved. So, Hosea praises God for his past greatness, the things that he had done in the past. Although, I mean, Hosea, Habakkuk. And although Habakkuk wasn't there at that time, Habakkuk recognized that God was great based on his understanding of the record of Scripture. And in verses 16 and 19, the the chapter comes to a climax. Habakkuk exalts God in spite of the seeming injustice that is happening all around him. He exalts God. Notice the structure in this verse, in these verses. He says, I heard and my inward parts inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds' feet, and makes me walk on my high places. In verse 16, he says, I heard... And then later on in the verse, I tremble. And then he says, I, tr- I, 
I must wait or I must trust. Later on in verse 16, I must trust in spite of the, the trials. God, you have, you have shown me how great you are and your great works, and so I'm going to wait quietly for you. That's what he says at the end of verse 16. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. And then in verse 18, he says, I will exalt you. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The prophet Habakkuk has been reminded of God's past greatness and how He has displayed His judgment on the wicked and how He's used that as a means to save those who, to whom He has promised these great things. He thinks back to how God has used judgment in that way and now recognizes that God has a purpose in what's going on in Judah. That God is doing this for a purpose. Not simply to to cause uh, consternation with the people of Judah, but to to accomplish His great work in them. And so now Habakkuk's, re- Habakkuk's response is a good one. He says, I will trust in you in the day of distress. When, when this time of judgment comes upon these people, I will trust in you. I will wait patiently for you. And this is how we should respond when we see God... Um, for who He is. When we recognize His universal sovereignty, when we see all the things that He's doing around the world, when we think back to the past things that He has done in our lives and in the lives of the people of Scripture, we should respond like Habakkuk with reverent fear, saying, I see now, God, that You are in control, that, that You have a purpose, and I joyfully praise You because of your promises, that you are bringing about a day. This day where, where it seems like injustice is, is winning, that this day will, will fade away, and that wicked will be punished ultimately, and you will exalt your people to a place just like you have promised. So the main point of this little book, the second smallest book in the Old Testament, we could say negatively that, that wicked people will eventually be punished by God. Okay, So, I don't know what kind of circumstances you are going through right now, but perhaps you see where wicked people seem to be advancing all around you. They seem to be getting, uh, they, they seem to be getting all of God's grace and we very little of it. And what Habakkuk teaches us is that eventually... Wicked people will be punished. People who reject God will be punished. Now, we shouldn't wish that upon them. We should certainly pray for God's grace upon them just as it came to us. But turn back to chapter 2 because I want to show you the positive side of this main point that Habakkuk is making. Okay, Not only will the wicked eventually be punished and all the things that have been done wrong to you will be made right, But look at chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. We could simply say this. God is not unjust in His dealings. Trust Him to know that He is doing what is best, that He is doing what is right. And do you know what it means? Or know what it's called when you trust Him, even when things don't seem to be going right? 
It's called faith. That's what we're all called to do. And so if you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, your responsibility is to trust God even when things don't make sense. That God knows what He's doing. Even if He hasn't explained it all to you. And that's part of of living a life in a sin-cursed world. We are citizens of heaven. This world is, is not our home. And so we are strangers, aliens in many ways. And things don't make sense oftentimes. We don't get what we want all the time. Other people seem to be advancing when they shouldn't. But our responsibility is to trust God, to have faith. That's what faith is. It's seeing or it's believing what we don't see. Because if we could see it, it wouldn't be faith at all. It would be sight. When a man and a woman marry, they pledge their love and faithfulness. They pledge their love and faithfulness to each other, and and often in the vows they say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And if that's true, if that commitment, that that. Uh, commitment to love and faithfulness is true between a husband and a wife, then how much more should it be between us and God? That we would be willing to say to Him that God, even in the darkest of times, I am willing to follow You. I don't know what You're doing. I don't know what's happening all around me, but I'm going to trust You because I've committed to do so. I have given myself to You. And I expect and and believe that what you are doing is best. That is our responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a as a, a covenant holder with our God, with the God of all creation. Turn back to chapter three, verses seventeen and eighteen, and I want to show you one more time what our response should be in in spite of the injustices that are happening all around us. Chapter three verse 17 Though the fig tree Habakkuk prays though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls yet I will exult in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. He doesn't say, you know, God, I'll follow you as long as you're giving me stuff. As long as you keep my bank account to a reasonable level, as long as you're making me uh, happy in all these different areas of life, as long as you give me good health and a long life, as long as I'm moving up to better positions in my workplace, then then I will exalt you. No, notice what he says, verse 17. He says, even if all my wealth is taken away, if cancer rips through my body, if my brothers and sisters abandon the faith and turn their back on me, even if my co-worker persecutes me, and if all of the other people Follow another God. Verse 18, Yet, if all those things happen, yet I will exalt in the Lord because I trust You. 
that you know what is best. Verse 19, the Lord is my strength. I don't trust in all these things that you give to me, God. And so when those things go away, that's not a big deal to me. Because my strength is in you. You can take all those things away from me. And in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, God, I will be with you. Because I trust you. And you know, God will lead you through those dark times. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. He still cares. No matter what you're going through, God cares. And He is there and He's ready to respond to you and to give you grace as you look into His Word and find strength in that foundation. How, how far are you willing to follow God? Are you only willing to follow Him during the mountaintop experiences? Or are you willing to go down in the valley and say, God, are you sure? It looks kind of dark and, and, and dangerous down there. It looks like things are going to be a little bit rough for me. Are you willing to follow God that far? Because true disciples of Jesus Christ, like we've been seeing in the Gospel of Mark, are willing to give up whatever it takes to follow Jesus Christ and do what He demands of us. May God help us as we work uh, to serve Him in this way. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that You'd help us to grow nearer and still nearer to You, that we would grow close to Your heart, and that we would be faithful to, to the commitment that we have made to You. When we came to faith in, in Jesus Christ, we did not simply gain life insurance, that we would just receive eternal life and, and stay out of, uh, out of hell, but we committed to following You, that we would repent of our sins, that we would turn from it and, and follow You in, in faith and faithfulness. And we don't want to give up on that commitment, but You know how difficult it is for us to live in this world a world that is marred and cursed by sin, where the majority of people are running in, in, in a race towards uh, all their pleasures, trying to accomplish all these things for themselves, and care very little, and many times not at all, for the things of you. They don't care about spiritual things. They... Many even seek to harm us, to, to tease us, to make fun of us, to persecute us. And, and it's difficult to, to continue to follow You. But we thank You that, that as we sang earlier, that Jesus is near. He has never left us. He promised to be with us even till the end of the age. And we trust that that promise is true because You have told us it is. And we ask that You would help us, that we would be strengthened in our faith, and that our love for You would grow still more and more, and that we would uh, long to serve You because we recognize the weight of our sin and what it meant, where we should be because of our sin under Your condemnation, but where we are now because of Your grace. And we ask that You would help us to, to obey You and to follow You, even in the darkest of trials. Lord, I don't know what You have for each person here. 
within this next uh, year or so. I don't know what kind of difficulties may come their way or our way, but I know that You will never leave us. And I pray that You would give a, a fresh sense of Your presence as You draw near to us through the power of Your Word. And may we never turn our backs on You. May we never uh, question Your justice, but that we would trust You in all things and give You the glory and the praise that You deserve. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to take your hymn books and turn to hymn number 382.